This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Wednesday. We are doing infectious disease and immunology questions. Daphne, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, I was thinking, Mm. I was thinking about, it's a good reminder about getting questions wrong, right? This is not the test. So I know people are like, okay, different people study differently. Like I know you're probably like this. You read and read and read, and then you answer questions when you're ready, when you feel like Mm -hmm. you're ready. That's how you study, right? So I'm the opposite. (laughs) I start questions from day one because I find that I learn a lot from questions. Mm -hmm. So I think that every time you get a question wrong, still, still a chance for uh, learning, you know? So people don't have to feel bad about getting these right. immunology questions wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm uh, due to ask you the first question. And mm. uh, we left off at question 58, Daphna. Okay. A three-month-old infant presents with lethargy, constipation, poor feeding, a weak cry, and hypotonia. The infant's mother reports that the infant's weakness has been progressive. An electromyography, which we routinely do in our institution, I'm kidding, (laughs) is performed. Oh, good. Um, And it shows an incremental- I'm not even sure we can get one in the area. (laughs) Uh, which shows an incremental response at high frequency and abnormal spontaneous mm. activity. Of the following, the type of bacteria that is most likely to be the cause of the infant's symptoms is choice A, acid fast bacillus, choice B, gram-negative intracellular diplococcic in pairs. Um, I'm assuming it's like diplococci. Sorry about that. Um, choice yeah. C, gram Gram-positive bacillus, choice D, gram-positive diplococci in chains. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I've never seen this. Maybe you've seen it, but it's, I mean, it's botulism, right? So yeah. uh, cl- one of the clostridiums, clostridium botulinum, I guess, for botulism, mm-hmm. and they are gram-positive bacilli. Have you seen it? It's funny. No, I have not. And I was doing a board review session and fellowship. I remember this all my life. Um, and, mm. you know, like you, you, you talk, I was doing ID and I was, uh, you, you do a little 20 minute presentation and then you, you put the fellows through questions. And uh-huh. I decided that I was going to stump the fellows by putting a <laughs> picture of a baby with uh, botulism. And in uh. the room, in the room was, one of my co-fellows who was much junior than me, but who was Kate Horan, who we had on the show, uh, mm. one of the ver- first episodes. Who's done she's, some global health work. Exactly. She saw the picture. She's like, botulism. And I was like, how <laughs> the fuck did she get that? And then I was like, shit, doctors without borders. And she's like, yeah, I've seen it many times. And I'm like, oh, terrifying. Um, so I was terrifying. so excited. Yeah. I was like, I was all amped up because I'm like, oh, I have a good question huh. to ask them. And Kate just, poof, just, uh, yeah. 
So the infant in the vignette presents with symptoms concerning for an infection with class ugh, with Clostridium botulinum. Uh, this organism is a gram-positive anaerobic bacillus that emits a toxin, Botox, which inhibits the release of acetylcholine from nerves. Mm-hmm. Infection can be acquired from airborne spores from soil, dust, or honey. A diagnosis is um, confirmed uh, by identifying the toxin in stool culture and electromyography with the findings as follows. Incremental response at high frequency, abnormal spontaneous activity, and abundant brief small amplitude action potential. Myobacterium tuberculosis is a slow-growing acid-fast bacillus. Neisseria gonorrhea is a gram-negative intracellular diplococcus in pairs. Group B strep is a gram-positive diplococcus in chains. And Neisteria monocytogenes is a gram-positive rod. These organisms are not likely to cause the electromyography finding of the infant in the vignette. Yeah, I think any of the characteristic funny tests, like the EMG findings, you got to know them cold. Like, mm-hmm. I I honestly didn't know the EMG findings, but I knew the, the vignette. You should know them cold. And something else you mentioned is where do you test for things? Like this one in the stool. They love answer, asking questions about where you can test. Like, Is it blood? Is it sputum? Is mm-hmm. it stool? Um, so that's a, a good reminder. Okay. Um, ID and immunology question 59. Oh, I love this question. What is the most common form of immune dysfunction found in patients with chromosome 22Q11.2 deletion? Is it A, graft versus host disease? Is it B, oligoclonal peripheral T-cell proliferation, similar to Omen syndrome? Is it C, severe immunoglobin deficiency? D, T-cell hypoplasia and mild to moderate peripheral lymphopenia, or is it E, thymic aplasia and severe T-cell lymphopenia? What is the most common form? This is actually a tricky question. It is tricky, (laughs) right? Um, Because, I mean, um, the last two choices seem like, ooh, like they, they could potentially jump at you. Mm-hmm. T-cell hypoplasia and mild to moderate peripheral lymphopenia. Uh, that's choice mm-hmm. D. And choice E, thymic, hy- thymic aplasia. You see, I almost slipped and said hypoplasia. But yeah. it's thymic aplasia right. and severe T-cell lymphopenia. Uh, because 22Q11 um, is um, one of the the things that is described by DeGeorge syndrome, right? So we all know DeGeorge syndrome. We all mm-hmm. know like catch 22 and so on. But then you're like, wait, is it thymic aplasia? But it's hypoplasia. So um, I don't That's think he right. is correct. So I'm going to say D, T-cell hypoplasia and mild to moderate peripheral lymphopenia. That's exactly right. I feel like when you, you, I learned this in medical school, it's thymic aplasia. You don't see the thymus on the chest x ray, mm-hmm. but it's actually D, like you said, T cell hypoplasia and mild to moderate peripheral lymphopenia. So you might miss this, you know, you may not have those characteristic findings. Chromosome 22Q11, catch 22 is most, is the most common chromosomal deletion syndrome. That's another key point. 
DeGeorge, the most common chromosomal deletion syndrome. Multiple names refer to the similar phenotypes, including DeGeorge, velocardiofacial syndrome, CATCH-22, which has cardiac disease, abnormal facies, thymic hypoplasia, cleft palate, and hypocalcemia. And in 75% of patients with 22Q11.2 deletion, the immune system is altered. Not everybody, but most. And this immunological effect is thought to arise from thymic hypoplasia and manifests most commonly as mild to moderate peripheral lymphopenia, specifically a decreased CD3 T-cell count. Now, there's a rare and extreme variant, 1.5%, and affected infants may have aplasia of the thymus, resulting in extreme lymphopenia and increased risk of viral infections. These cases will occasionally show a massive proliferation of the small number of founder T-cells, resulting in this infiltration of end organs with oligoclonal peripheral T lymphocytes. Often associated with erythroderma and lymphadenopathy, this picture resembles Omen syndrome, but is found infrequently. Um, and a reminder about Omen syndrome, it's an inherited disorder of the immune system. Um, it is one of several forms of severe uh, combined immunodeficiency or SCID um, that they have you know, serious or life-threatening uh, infections. And specifically, the ba- babies with om- or children with Omen syndrome develop this autoimmunity in which the immune system attacks the body's own tissues and organs, specifically the skin causing erythroderma, hair loss causing alopecia, and um, leading to hepatosplenomegaly. Now, um, infants with total thymic aplasia are also more sensitive to graphosis herst versus host disease, unlike in the milder and more common phenotype of thymic hypoplasia. In complete aplasia, the absence of T-cells cannot support adequate B-cell proliferation, resulting in immunoglobulin deficiency that mimics severe combined immunodeficiency. And the treatment for severe aplasia includes transplant. Very good. All right, Daphne, last question for today, question 60. Um, You have been closely monitoring a neonate with erythema around the umbilicus for two days. The erythema appears to be slowly worsening. You have been keeping the area clean, dry, and you're marking it with a pen. Today, the neonate appears less active, has has some temperature instability, and when you arrive at the bedside, you note purulent discharge from the umbilical cord and surrounding induration. The erythema has spread rapidly and there is a bluish slash black discoloration around the umbilicus with areas of blistering. All of the following are true about this infant's condition, except choice A, a blood culture and a CBC should be obtained. Choice B, IV antibiotic therapy should be started immediately. Choice C, the prognosis is poor. Choice D, there is no need to involve pediatric surgery. Choice E, the etiology is frequently polymicrobial. Again, of all these choices, you are looking for the one that is not true. Not true. Okay. Not true. Uh, So this is, I mean, this is an omphalitis, but it seems like this black discoloration and blistering is worse than (laughs) up 
that's uh, that's not expected. And they're just a run of the mill amblyitis. So it sounds like it's like necrotizing, right? It's it's dying away. Um, so what do we do about it? Uh, blood culture and CBC, yeah, of course. Antibiotics, yes, probably we would have done that. You know, two days ago, <laughs> the prognosis is poor. I think, yeah, with this these necrotizing skin infections, uh, that's probably true. I don't know. There's no need to involve pediatric surgery. So now that it's necrotizing, we're going to need some sort of debridement. You know, it's not just antibiotics. So uh, I think that's likely to be the right answer for the question because I think we're going to need some help here. And mm-hmm. the etiology is frequently polymicrobial. That I know to be true. So I guess D then. And the prognosis must be poor, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the key. I think many people may be confused and say, well, the prognosis of um, omphalitis may not be poor. But like you said, this is no longer omphalitis. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're past omphalitis. And I think understanding that um, you are now dealing with um, necrotizing fasciitis is is key. So the infant in the above case has an omphalitis that appears to have progressed to necrotizing fasciitis. Organisms mm-hmm. that are found on the skin or uh, that are introduced during the umbilical vessel by catheterization can produce an omphalitis. Staph aureus and E. coli are frequent pathogens, but group A strep, anaerobic bacteria, and polymicrobial infections may occur. Direct bacterial invasion of the umbilical cord and surrounding skin is common. Bacteria can invade the umbilical artery and spread across its lumen, causing necrosis of the loose connective tissue of the arterial wall. If the umbilical and iliac ends are occluded, a septic, loculated focus of infection may be found. When the umbilical end remains patent, purulent material may drain through the umbilicus, as we saw in this vignette. Necrotizing fasciitis is a life-threatening complication, resulting Mm -hmm. from rapidly spreading destruction of the fascia and subcutaneous tissue around the umbilicus by a polymicrobial infection. In infants with anomphalitis and necrotizing fasciitis, purulent drainage can be noted from the umbilical stump at its base at, at its base of attachment to the abdominal wall or from the navel after the cord has separated. The discharge can be foul-smelling, periumbilical erythema and induration may be noted, Parenteral administration of antibiotics is indicated if a neonate presents with periumbilical erythema, edema, and tenderness with or without purulent discharge. As you said, could that have been started earlier? Combination therapy should be administered to provide broad-spectrum coverage. Vancomycin should be provided for gram-positive coverage. An aminoglycoside or a third-generation cephalosporin for better tissue penetration can be given to provide gram-negative coverage. If there is extensive and rapidly spreading periumbilical erythema or involvement of the abdominal wall, as we are seeing in this vignette, the complication of necrotizing fasciitis should be considered. Affected infants frequently present with septic shock, area of bluish or black discoloration, and induration. Um, necrotizing fasciitis requires supportive care, pathogen-directed antibiotic therapy, and extensive surgical debridement. Omphalitis complicated by necrotizing fasciitis can be associated with bacteremia, coagulopathy, shock, and frequently progresses to death despite surgical and progressive uh, and supportive measures. Septic embolization with met- metastases to the lungs, kidneys, and skin can occur. Ugh, terrifying that we're ending on this note. Yeah, that sounds bad. Real yeah. bad. Real bad. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good.